the United States has been fighting for over a year with Britain, trying to see their independence. 56 of our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, which explained why it is the 13 colonies regarded themselves as independent from Britain. They consider themselves no longer under British rule. Let me read for you the first two sentences. Actually, let me bring the first, I'll comment on it, and then I'll read the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. These are familiar words to many of us. It says this, When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. All that to say this, is that, that when in the course of time one nation wants to, to succeed and, and separate from another, it's only proper and polite to declare our independence and to tell you why indeed it is that we are seeking our independence from you. Then the second sentence says this. This is the crux of my message this morning. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are unalienable rights. And then after this sentence, I just want to tell you a little bit before we go back and comment on that, the Declaration of Independence goes on to explain that the role of any government is to seek to secure these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when these rights are not secured by a government, it's only right, in fact, no, it is the duty of the people to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for their future security. And you can kind of reason through that that says that the American colonies feel like they were not experiencing these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they said it's only right, in fact, it's our duty to separate so that we can establish a nation which is founded upon these inalienable rights. And then the Declaration of Independence continues on with 27 grievances that the early colonies had against King George III saying you got this wrong, and you got this wrong, and this is our grievance, and we, we have this, we have this, 27 reasons, and then that they were polite, and they declared their independence, and the war went on for several years. Well, this July 4th, it's only right for us, I think, to rejoice in the vision of our founding fathers, that they indeed would establish a government to aim these self-evident truths that men are created equal, and have these inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I'm not sure what you know what inalienable means. Inalienable. It, it means that it cannot be alienated from us. It cannot be separated from us. It cannot be revoked. Like these are things that are ours and will be ours and should be ours in all ways. They've been given to us by our Creator, and the government has no business taking them away. And that's how our country was founded. And I find every reason this morning to rejoice in those things. When we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence on this July 4th, some 230 plus years later, I find it appropriate for us at church to celebrate this outside in the country that God has given us. And then to have a picnic afterwards. And then even tonight, as, as, as it gets dark, I know many of you will be outside watching the fireworks. How many of you plan to go out and watch the fireworks someplace? And if you didn't raise your hand, you're an old fuddy-duddy, I guess. I know, yeah, Nancy, you're one of those. And, and I totally understand that. As the older and older I get, I can understand staying home and not wanting to face the crowds. But we have a reason to rejoice in our country by the, the way it was founded because not all countries have our core principles. There are different forms of, uh, of government there are the totalitarian regimes where the government controls all aspects of the lives of their citizens, tracks them, traces them, monitors them, and suppresses all political opposition. Those exist today. Some countries are run by military dictatorships 
where the government is the single sole authority, absolute power in the country. They, they use the armed forces to force citizens into compliance. And, and some of these military dictatorships have elections, but their leaders are elected by 100% of the vote. It's not how America is established. Some countries are communistic, where they aim for a classless society, where, where the state owns everything, no private property, but just distributes it to people according to the whims of the state. Some countries have a ruling monarchy. Not like Britain, which is a monarchy, which is figurehead, but an actual ruling monarchy where the, where the family line of the royals descended. They, they control the entire government, and they have for decades and sometimes even centuries. Now, though people have differing opinions on the various forms of government, and some people actually want to live in governments like that, I would contend that more majority of Americans would rather live under our form of government than upon these other forms of governments in other nations. And I say so because we as America have this inalienable right to freedom and we can move and go to those other countries and live in those other countries if they wanted to. Anybody can do that. And we don't find people moving outside the United States. Rather, we see people moving into the United States. And I'm thankful to God to be able to live in such a country. Now, that doesn't mean our country's perfect. We do not get it all right. In fact, arguments are, are to be made that we don't get it right at all and that we fail even at the most fundamental level. I, I mean, this it, it endowed with these, these clear and evident truths that all men are created equal. The whole racial divide in our nation today is an expression that many people feel like our country is not treating people equal, failing in that way. Furthermore, a pursuit of life the, predominance, the predominant reality of abortion in our nation is a demonstration that the we as a nation have failed to provide life to all, the right to life for all. And the ever-increasing involvement in all aspects of the government into our lives shows that we are losing our liberty as well. And though we are the wealthiest nation that has ever existed and we have the opportunity to pursue our happiness, our people in America are not the happiest people of the world. It shows that America is not utopia. I'm under no a pretense that that is the case, where we experience perfect laws and, and, and a just government and, and wealthy social conditions and upright citizens. We're not utopia. For this, we need to wait until heaven. And, and that's exactly what Paul tells us to do in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 he says our citizenship as believers in jesus christ is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait a savior jesus christ believers in jesus have dual citizenship not in two countries but in an earthly country and in a heavenly country and, and this earthly country it's not utopia it is good it is healthy it is profitable we can rejoice in that but it is not utopia heaven is utopia and we wait for that nevertheless i would contend that our founding principles are good we're promised by our government life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and so this morning we're in a different place we're outside it is july 4th i'm preaching a message today that's totally different than most every message i've ever preached normally i take a passage of scripture and we work through that passage and we dig into it and we we mine it for all that we can and we understand it we explain it and we apply it normally I have you open your bibles to one verse of scripture and we stay there we camp there the whole time today's totally different probably different than 99 percent of the messages that i do but I, I trust that you will forgive me i will repent later for my my lack of exposition of a single passage, but I felt like this morning, being outside, being different, on the 4th of July, I just thought, let me just preach a totally topical message, okay? You got, you got what I'm saying? So you'll forgive me. <laughs> it's okay, we get some, some people excited about that. But here we go. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is my title. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is my outline. I just want us to think about these things about life. Now, fundamentally, in America, we, we have the right to live. That's an inalienable right. And as I mentioned earlier, with the predominance of abortion in our country, we're failing miserably in this right. 
We've had more than 60 million abortions in our nation since it was legalized in 1973, and that is tragic. But this morning isn't about decrying the evils of abortion, though there are many, and this morning isn't a rallying cry to overturn the decision of our highest courts, though this is a very good thing that we should do and we should seek. Right, but this morning is to think about how the United States of America has given us, who are alive, who've made it past the womb, out of the womb, at least us, has it given us opportunities for life. And I would contend this, we in America have the privilege of living our dreams during our time on earth, unlike any other nation that's on the planet. Think about it, you can decide what you want to do with your life. The government isn't stepping in and saying, oh, you're going to be a farmer, and you're going to be a fireman, and you're going to be a doctor, and you're going to be a lawyer. The government is not overseeing all the aspects of our life. We are free to pursue whatever it is that we want. Whatever you want to do, you, you can try. You can seek that. You, whatever you want to experience, you can do that. Wherever you want to go, you can go. You can travel anywhere you want in our nation. If you want to travel out west, if you want to have dinner in the Space Needle in Seattle, you all can do that. If you want to go to Disneyland, you all can do that. If you want to tour Alcatraz outside of San Francisco, you can do that. If you want to travel east and watch an opera at the Metropolitan Opera House in Manhattan, you can do that. If you want to see the Declaration of Independence in the rotunda of the National Archives in Washington, D.C., you can do that. If you want to see the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, and read what it says from Leviticus 25, as Gary mentioned. You can do that. If you want to go to a beach in South Carolina, you can do that. If you want to travel outside of the country, you can do that. If you want to walk on the Great Wall of China, you can do that. If you want to see the crown jewels in the Tower of London, you can do that. If you want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, you can do that in America. Because we have the right to live as we want to live. If you want to learn how to fly, get your pilot's license and solo across the United States, you can do that. If you want to scuba drive so that you can see the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, you can do that. If you want to mountain climb so as to attempt to climb up Mount Everest, you can do that. Now, depending upon your wealth, you may not be able to do all of these things. But I would contend, regardless of your wealth today, you can do any one of these things, and maybe you can do four or five or ten or fifteen of them. Because in America, we have the means to save up for some years and to live well below our means and to save our money to, to really reach and go after any experience in life that we want. And that's true of almost anyone in our country. Sure, well, there's poverty among us. We have poor in our nation, but nothing like the poor of other nations. I've seen it in India. I, I've gone to the tea plantations where women work outside hunched over for a dollar or two a day. Only return to their, their tea plantation slums where there's a, a tin shack over their head and they have dirt floors and they live in one room with outhouses. If possible, if it's really nice, they have outhouses. Right, but the poor of our nation are of a different variety. They have the government to fall back on. Section 8 housing, social security disability exists Food stamps are readily available. In fact, food stamps are so readily available in the United States that most people struggling financially are overweight because the food is cheap and they get so much of it. People in foreign lands who are struggling to eat are skinny and thin and small because of lack of protein. That's not our case in the United States. And for poor people of other nations, it's only a dream to live in the United States. It's only a dream to travel outside of their country. They can never save up enough money for the plane ticket to the United States. Though many of them want to come. Many of them would long to be here. They cannot do that because they're probably not in America. America, we, we simply need to save enough. We can have any sort of vacation or experience we want. We can go to any ball game or show that we want, any place. We can pursue our pleasures however we want. That is the promise that we have, the right that we have to life. And America has done very well with that. But now I want to give you a perspective. That's maybe what the world is, pursuing all those things. That's not the perspective of how a Christian pursues life. A, a Christian isn't to pursue life in all its worldly adventures, in all pursuit of its pleasures and its show and its entertainment. No, a Christian ought to 
pursue life in Jesus Christ. As Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. Living is Jesus Christ. It's because our life is found in him. And Jesus said that, John 14.6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want life, it's in Jesus. It's not in the things of the world. And you are free in our nation, which is wonderful, to pursue life. You can pursue the things of the world, or you are free also to pursue Jesus in whom is real life. Jesus goes on to say that, that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you want to get through God, to God, right, you do so through the sacrifice of Jesus to get there, right? Because he died for our sins, and his life, our life rather, brings our death, right? Because of our sin, our life brings our death, but his life, his death brings us life. So when we live, we sin, we should die. But he died, he should have lived, but in his death, he gives us life. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Because in Jesus is life. John 1.4, it's exactly what, what is said there by the Apostle John. In him was life. And so if you really want to live, you don't need to live all these American dreams. And this is good news to those even in other nations. To those who want to come to the United States but cannot in any way save up enough money to come, to them, God has been so gracious and open that the inalienable right of everybody on the planet is to believe in Jesus and find life despite the physical circumstances in which they find themselves in. So I just say this, do you want to live for the world and for all of its stuff and for all of its experience? You can do that, you'll die. Or do you want to live for Jesus? And if so, you will live forever. Jesus said this way, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Right? And Jesus is saying this. You want to keep your life? You want to live it up? And you have opportunity and freedom to do that in America. If you want to live it up however you want, he says, you will die. But if you die to yourself and you look to Christ and you follow him and you take up his cross, you will live. And there's no profit, by the way, in gaining the world and all the experiences of the world and yet forfeiting your soul. And one of the things I fear is that in America, there are many people, right, living this life that they've been given freedom to do and the right to do and the prosperity and opportunity to do, but they are losing their souls. And I just say it's clear, it's evident, right? Do you want genuine life? Then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And there, there was a time when Jesus encountered a young man who loved the world. He loved the adventures of the world. He was wealthy, and yet he still felt like something is lacking in his life, like, like many Americans. Many Americans are wealthy, but they still know something is lacking in their life. And rather than coming to Jesus to ask about life, or rather than coming to church and seeking that life, or rather than pursuing someone who seems to know a thing or two about that, they just continue in their, in their wealth. But there was a time when a rich young man, who, who was not only rich, but he was also influential, he was a ruler uh, of the society then, he came to Jesus and he asked the right question. He said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He had everything in this world, and he said, I've got everything here. I want something in eternal life forever as well. Jesus then said to him, Matthew 19, verse 17, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep his commandments. And he said to him, well, which ones? And so Jesus began just with a few of the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. And, the, and this rich man, who had all the world's good deeds, says, I've, I've done all this. What still do I lack? And then Jesus said, if you would be perfect, right, if you really want eternal life, says for you, you need to deal with the commandment of coveting. And I think this is where Americans need to deal with this commandment of coveting, keeping what we have. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions to give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. In other words, he's saying, you get your treasure in this life 
and pursue the treasure of heaven that there is to come. And the young man, sadly, like many Americans, heard this and went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. See, when faced with the issues of life and the life to come, this man chose the earthly life with all that money could purchase and all the influence that social structure could purchase rather than eternal life, which is given, to Jesus, given by Jesus Christ to all who turn to him. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He said, you must be born again, right? You must be changed. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And there's the reality of the life that God gives to us. It, 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 it emanates from the love of God that comes and sends his son Jesus to live a perfect life and yet be condemned to death. But he was condemned to death and God punished Jesus so that we could live. He punished him in our place. And you simply need to believe in Christ and live forever. And belief in Jesus will, will change your life. Erratically change it. 2 Corinthians 5.14 The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. See, his love takes over your life. And his love then will control you and guide you in, in a loving way, away from loving the world, to love him. And as 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And when you believe and trust in Jesus, you will then pursue real life, which is in Christ. Pursuing him, not pursuing the here and now. And what's great about America is you have the total freedom to live how it is you want to live. You want to live for the world? Live for the world. If you want to live for Jesus, live for Jesus. Only one will, will reap eternal life. Well, this 4th of July, we're looking not only at life. We got life. Secondly, we got liberty. Liberty, that, that's just freedom. Freedom is the opportunity to do whatever it is you want to do. Now, I've already touched on this a bit when talking about life. But that's because life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they're all like, like interlinked. It's not like pursuing life and pursuing liberty is a different thing, right? You want to pursue life. You have the total freedom to pursue life however it is that you want. In America, as I said, you can go wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can learn whatever you want. You can spend your days doing whatever you want. Now, there are consequences, of course, right? If you sit on the couch and just watch the TV or, or play your video games all day, you can do that, but you're going to find yourself in financial trouble, as the proverb says, Proverbs 24, 33 and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I'm just playing my video games as my hands are resting here on my controller. I'm not hardly moving at all. I just got my controller. It says a little of that, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. But you're free to do that. There's nothing compelling you except your parents probably talking about get up. Why don't you get outside? Get some fresh air. When I was a kid, I didn't sit there and play video games, right? There weren't video games when some of us were children. I didn't do that. But it's your life. If you want to live that way, you are free to do so. And the government works hard as fundamental principle that we all have liberty to live as we want. The contrary is true as well, though. You have liberty to work hard and take every opportunity that comes your way. And you have every opportunity to do what you want. And rather than being a sluggard and live in poverty, you can work really hard and gain wealth. You can work hard and make your millions. And just spend it and use it on however you see fit. And so whether you work hard and earn a lot of money, or, or whether you are lazy and poor and earn nothing and live in poverty, you reap what you sow. And you are free to reap however you want, and you will sow then however you want. And this is the very thing, by the way, that makes our, our country so great, is we are free to do what we want to do. By the way, this is the very thing that makes our country so terrible, is that we are free to do what we want to do. It's like a, a, a dual-edged sword. But in the United States, you can use your freedom for good, or you can use your freedom for evil. You are free to do what you want. Indeed, the national anthem ends, right? We're the land of the free and the home of the brave. And now again, right, there are ways where we as a, as a nation are failing this. As time goes on, as our country goes down its path, the government's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger the government is, that means that we have less and less and less and less freedom. You know, the story's often told of the encounter, whether it's true or not, the sentiment is exactly right. When Benjamin Franklin 
right, was, was meeting and writing out the Constitution of the United States with the other founding fathers. And as he was leaving one day, a sturdy old woman, right, was talking with him about uh, this, this work that he was doing about the Constitution. And, and she said to Benjamin Franklin, well, doctor, what is it? Do we have a republic or a democracy? And Benjamin Franklin said, a republic if you can keep it. And the idea there is that when you have free people, it's difficult to, to maintain this unity of freedom in society. Because evil people will, will work against it. You need to have a moral, God-fearing people in order for the republic to continue on. Now, the purpose of my message this morning, again, isn't to lament the freedoms that we are losing as a country. Rather, it's re the purpose of my message is to rejoice in the freedoms that we have. And I just put it this way. If you compare our freedoms to the freedoms of other countries, we are super free. Free beyond comparison in many other countries. In fact, even the First Amendment to the Constitution makes this abundantly clear. In fact, many amendments make this all abundantly clear how free we are. First Amendment reads this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble or to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This statement alone is huge. This is not just merely the declaration that we are free. This is, this is how our country has been established. And the very first amendment, the very first issue has to do with our freedom, has to do with our freedom of religion, has to do with our freedom of speech has to do with our freedom of the press, has our, our freedom to do with assembly, our freedom to do with expressing grievances to our, our government. Right? A government cannot interfere with our assemblies here today. Oh, a policeman may show up, but he would be entirely in the wrong to try to stop us in any way. And our government is not going to come in and disrupt our assembly. It won't. We have a right to worship the Lord as we see fit. We have freedom to say what it is that we want to say. We can protest against the government all we want. I remember talking to a, a gentleman that I knew who grew up in uh, Czechoslovakia during the, during the, um, the Soviet days, the, the communist days, the communist takeover. And, and he told me the situation one time where he was on a train with his friend. And... Um, he, he closed his eyes and went to sleep. And, and the friend later on says, boy, I wasn't tired at all. I, I can't believe you were so tired. He said, I wasn't tired. I just saw the guy in the back, and I knew that we couldn't talk about what we were going to talk about with that guy in back, or we'd be in trouble. So he just shut his eyes and pretended to be asleep. We don't have anything like that in the United States. We can talk about anything we want on the train in a public place. We can resist the government. We can, we can speak against our presence, former and present, all we want. We can protest against the government. We can lobby for our, our, our views and our causes. We can go to Washington, D.C., and we can, we can uh, protest. We can stand outside the courtrooms, all that we want. We're free to do that. Our press is free to write whatever they want. Now, not to say our press doesn't have its problems with its biases, uh, but it's free. And with the, with the internet today, everything's flattening. You all can have a voice if you just get enough people to listen to you. If you say it well enough, you'll have an audience. We can say anything we want. We can make change by our voice. The, the amendment to the Constitution promises that, and that makes us so unlike many nations of the world where you're not free to worship. We don't have freedom of speech. Where you, can pro you cannot protest against the government without severe consequences, like disappearing from society. In this, we can rejoice in America. But I don't want to talk this morning about our civil liberties, which we have. Rather, I'd rather talk about our freedom in Jesus. Because just this life, you can pursue life in this world, and it's going to be vain. You need to pursue life in Jesus. You can pursue the liberties of this world, it will be in vain. You need to seek what the freedom that Jesus gives you. Because any freedom that we have in our society is simply a reflection of the freedom that we have in Jesus. And most fundamentally, if you think about the freedom that we have in Jesus, it's free from the consequences of our sin. That's oftentimes called forgiveness. Because when we sin, we become like prisoners on death row. We're condemned, just waiting our time to die. But Jesus, to use the metaphor, comes, breaks into the prison cell, 
and lets us free. John Wesley wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He's just using this prison metaphor, which is a biblical metaphor of us being bound, enslaved, and Jesus coming and freeing us from that. And we are free because we're forgiven in Jesus. And this forgiveness in Jesus is far better, I think, than any of us really, truly believe. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And he did that by canceling the record of debt and stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He has forgiven us all of our sins 2,000 years ago at the cross of Jesus Christ. Our forgiveness of sins, total and complete. All our trespasses. Forgiveness isn't, isn't partial. This is comprehensive, like comprehensive insurance, which covers everything for your automobile if you get in an accident. This covers all the dents and all the nicks and all the troubles. This is comprehensive forgiveness. See, it's not like God has kept back a few unforgiven sins for his leverage against us. Married couples do this often. Married couples who are having some, some problems, right? some difficulties in their marriage, what do they do? They constantly bring up these old grievances against each other. They say, oh, maybe at one time they've forgiven each other, but their sins are not forgotten. They're forgiven and not forgotten. And whatever's convenient... They can pull into their pack and pull out their firepower and use their arguments to get someone, oh yeah, remember this, oh yeah, remember this, oh yeah, remember this. That's not so with God. He has forgiven us our sins, and for all intents and purposes, he has forgotten our sins. God's promise in the new covenant is this, I will remember their sins no more, Hebrews 8, 12. Remembering them no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You, you know, we have a problem today. Of this, is this great plastic dump in the middle of the, of the ocean. Right? But that's what God has done. He's taken the plastic, our garbage, and thrown it into the sea, and it goes out there. And the only reason we know about it is we go pursue it. But we can't pursue out in the ocean, most of us have not been there. You could go there. If that's one of your wishes and your dreams, you can go and visit that awful place. But God has taken our sins, and he's thrown it far as the east is from the west. Never to bring it back up again. The, the garbage that you throw in your garbage can, it goes in the dump truck, then it goes to some landfill, some place it gets covered up. You cannot get that even if you wanted to. If you accidentally throw something out, you go try to find that. You're not going to find it. It is so difficult. And that's what God does with our sin. He buries it someplace. He puts it in the deepest part of the ocean, and he's not going to go for a swim. He's not going to take a shovel and try to dig it up. Your sin is forgiven if you trust in Jesus. Now, the path to this forgiveness is really simple. It's just one word, confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have, we have forgiveness. We have, we have freedom in America because we are citizens. But if we want forgiveness of sins, we need to confess. We need to speak to the Lord. Right? You need to see your sin. You need to confess it as sin. And if you do, God will forgive you. And confessing your sin to the Lord means simply agreeing with what God says. It says, God, what I have done is evil and wicked in your sight. And, and you say it's sin, and I say it's sin. I'm making no justification for it at all. I have no excuse. I stand completely guilty, O Lord. I'm confessing it. But I am pleading your mercy through Jesus Christ, that you would forgive me through his cross, through trusting that. And the promise of Scripture is that God's a forgiving God. That he will not count his sin, our sins against us. But rather if we just reach out and ask for forgiveness, the forgiveness is ready there. And we have liberty to seek liberty, to gain liberty. It's the reality of teaching in the Bible. It's why we assemble. Because we know that we have forgiveness in Jesus and we indeed are free. You can be any place you want right now. You don't have to be here in the church lawn to be at a church service to hear some ranting guy just talk about freedom and liberty this July 4th. But, but we know the forgiveness of sins, many of us do, and that compels us to be here because it is such wonderful news of forgiveness. But Jesus at the cross didn't merely free us 
from the penalty of sin. He also freed us from the power of sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we're forgiven of our sin, God changes us. And he gives us into something new so that we're no longer slaves to sin. But, but we are free. We're free from our bondage to sin. And we will be free to willingly submit ourselves to the Lord and not to the sin. And so much so that Paul even says that we are slaves. We, we, we have been freed from the bondage of sin so that now we are slaves again. We are bondage, no, not to sin, but to righteousness. Right? Those who have experienced forgiveness of sins, right, no such freedom that they're going to pursue righteousness. In fact, it's almost as if righteousness binds them and compels them that way. That's the power of sin that Jesus forgives us and frees us from. Romans 6 speaks a lot about that. Listen to Romans 6, 17, 18, and 19. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves to sin and become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you were committed. Right? You once were slaves to sin, but now you've embraced Jesus and have become obedient to what you were committed. He says, and having been set free from sin, we become slaves of righteousness. Romans 6, 19. He says, I'm using this comparison. So it's speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, he says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. See, when God sets us free in Christ, we are free and truly free, but not free to do what we want, but free to do what we ought. And God gives us that power through the Holy Spirit to do what we ought, and that power comes through grace. Romans six fourteen: sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Grace is a thing that frees you up to walk in righteousness. Law will just tear you, tear you down as you're told what to do and you can't quite do it. But grace will, will give you it and strengthen you and enlighten you for that. God's grace is not freedom to sin. God's grace is the power to walk in righteousness. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us, teaching us. God's grace teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, God's grace is what comes in and trains us to walk in righteousness. And that's why it's so difficult to maintain freedom in a nation. Right? Because freedom implies and necessitates moral people who are going to pursue and do what is right. But as more and more people pursue what is wrong, there needs to be some intervention and loss of freedom for security. And we're drifting from that as a nation. Let's move on. My last point. We, we've seen several inalienable rights. We've seen life. We've seen liberty. And then finally, the pursuit of happiness. Think about this. Our country was founded on the principle that every single one of you are going to have life, ability to live it how you want, will have liberty and freedom, freedom to do what you want, to pursue your own happiness. What is it that you want to pursue that you think will make you happy? Now, again, that's overlapping the first two, right? We can live how we want. We're free to choose how to live. But now we have this freedom of a life to choose how it is that we want to pursue our own happiness. One of our fundamental rights as a nation, and I just say this, what a blessing. You say, amen, what a blessing that our government's designed with each of us in mind to give us the opportunity to pursue our own happiness. In other words, right, we're not forced to work for a collective, even if we don't want to do this. There aren't taskmasters forcing us to do things we don't want to do. We don't have to work long hours for a big paycheck to live in a big house, especially if we're content to live in a two-bedroom ranch. We're not forced to do that. We, we can find our own happiness there. In fact, you know what someone says? I, I'm just happy right here in my own little abode, my own little place, Loves Park, Illinois. I'm happy here. You can pursue that. That's totally yours. Everyone doesn't have to pursue this big, huge American dream. Now, if you want to pursue the world's goods, thinking that this will bring you happiness, you have the right to do so. Have at it. You're free to do so, and the government's going to help you in that, going to ensure that you have your own right to do that. And America, right, sadly, we've learned and experienced that pursuing our own happiness often does not result in happiness even though we have the right to do that too often right we think our happiness is wrapped up in things and experiences 
And so we amass our wealth, we build bigger barns, we live in bigger houses, and we multiply experiences with everything that entertains us, whether that's a, a show or a ball game or some excitement or some new toy. And we seek our pleasures in sex and alcohol and drugs, all in the pursuit of happiness. And with all our wealth, as I said, we are not the happiest country on the planet. I mean, all you got to do is like, like search Google. I mean, you, you don't do that now. You'll lose money. But you can. And you say, who are the happiest people? Now, not, America is not on the top. Now, albeit we are on the upper 50%, probably maybe 75%, because materially helps to bring that. But we're not the happiness. Because it's interesting that those who have everything are often the most discontent. How many times have rock stars, right, reached the pinnacle of their, uh, of their profession, right, been on the top, and we only hear of them, right, submitting themselves and ruining their lives due to drugs and eventually suicide. Because they got to the top, and they found out the top isn't everything that they wanted. So they die, they had everything. You know, uh, America reminds me of Solomon. King Solomon had everything. He had youth, he had power, he had wealth, he had wisdom, he had popularity. He had a bright future. He had God's promise that if he would walk in God's ways, God would abundantly bless him. He had all these things going for him. What happened to him? Well, he multiplied his pleasures, and he came to ruin. The last book they wrote is the book of Ecclesiastes, which begins this way. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And throughout the book, Solomon talks about his path in the pursuits of his pleasure, he had bigger houses, he had bigger barns, he had bigger gardens, he had bigger pools. He had slaves around to meet his every need. He had singers to entertain him with fine songs. Right? We have Spotify today. Right? He had singers that came in to entertain him. He had concubines to satisfy all of his sexual lusts that he wanted. He had alcohol to deaden his pain, and he found it all empty. He said, I'm just going to live my life, i got to mass all this stuff, and then give it to my son, and I have no idea what my son's going to do with it. It's vain. Of all that I am pursuing, we in America have much to learn from Solomon that the pursuit of this world will bring you into emptiness as well. But did you know this? Did you know that God commands you to pursue your own happiness? You know that? That God wants us as an inalienable right for you to pursue your own happiness. Only... He knows that your happiness isn't going to be in your pleasures. That's the purpose of Ecclesiastes, not in your pleasures. But your happiness will come when you pursue the Lord. If you pursue the Lord, that's when it comes. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Catch the promise, right? If you genuinely delight yourself in the Lord, if you have all your desires focused upon him, he says all the desires of your heart are going to be satisfied. And God wants for you to pursue your own happiness and joy, but it doesn't come from your own pleasures, your own delights. It all comes when you pursue the Lord, that that's when he gives you the desires of your heart. I mean, a great illustration of this, I think, is my father. He has already his tombstone. He's had it for years. And Psalm 37, verse 4, is on his tombstone. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he's approaching 87, maybe this year, 86. And um, he has delighted himself in the Lord, and God has blessed him abundantly with all his grandchildren all around him. And he's living his days in satisfaction and delight of God's blessing upon his life. And I just encourage you, that's a great example for me to see that my dad has pursued the Lord, and God has given him the desires of his heart. And I'm seeking that as well, to delight myself in the Lord and trust that God's going to give me the desires of my heart, which are for God anyway. And I just challenge all of you to pursue your own happiness by delighting yourself in the Lord and with this promise that God's going to give you the desires of your heart. See, God knows that the only way to happiness is through God. That's why the Psalms command us to be happy in the Lord. Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. God commands us to shout and sing to God with joy and with happiness and to serve him with gladness. You know, too often times in the, in the church when it comes to serving the Lord, it's like, oh, I'm a slave. God tells me to do this. I have to do this. God, if that's your perspective, you're all wrong. God says to serve me with gladness and with joy because that's best for you and it best honors him. See, God knows that 
that, that his greatest glory comes when his servants are happy and serving him, not when they're forced to bow to the tyrant. But just trust this, that you'll find your greatest happiness and joy when you serve the Lord. How many teens are there who are finding dissatisfaction in life and pursuing the things of the world, thinking that, well, that's where satisfaction are, when they've grown up in church and when it's God who's all along. Pursue God and you'll be happy. You show me a teen who grows up seeking to serve the Lord, following in his ways, continuing on in the walk of faith, and I will show you someone who's happier than the teen who leaves and goes and follows his own passion and desires. You want to be happy? You have freedom to. It's one of your inalienable rights. I just say, serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 95, verse 1. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You know, see, it's not just the psalmist that say that as well. When Jesus walked the earth, he wanted his disciples to know true joy as well. After spending an evening with them in John 15, talking about his ministry, talking to service to his disciples, he said this, John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants our joy to be full. He has told us about what a life is. He's, he's shown that by serving his servant, his disciples, by washing their feet, by being low and being the servant, he says, I've got the great joy, and I want you to have that joy as well. How do you do that? By serving others and being others-focused, not self-focused. Paul wants us to have joy as well. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Right, we rejoice in the Lord, not the pleasures of the world. It comes through seeking God. Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy in Him. And when you know and enjoy the Lord and understand your forgiveness of sins, natural joy is a result. Psalm 32 is a, is a great psalm for you. You think about joy. It's a psalm where David speaks about his forgiveness before the Lord. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And he goes and he talks about how sorrowful he was in his sin, how his, his body was broken and how his bones decayed and how difficult and hard it was. But then when he knew forgiveness, it was a delight and a joy to him. And here's how the psalm ends, the last two verses, Psalm 32. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. That's the disposition of everyone who knows the gospel, who knows forgiveness of sins, who is upright at heart. There's joy, gladness. In fact, that's what we're seeking at the church, is it not? Rock Valley Bible Church is to enjoy God's grace and to extend God's glory. And those come in an order, right? Our, our desire in our heart is to enjoy God's grace, to find happiness, to pursue your happiness in the grace of God. That's where true happiness is found. When, when, the, when the sinning woman was forgiven greatly, she, she found happiness and joy in kissing the Savior's feet because she knew and understood of forgiveness of sins. David, when he found forgiveness of sins, his, his, the world was lifted off him, the burden was lifted off of him. And he loved the Lord and pursued the Lord and found delight in that. And when you know and when you enjoy God's grace, you work to extend God's glory by telling it to others not just you it's not just us but it extends out and i just want to close this morning with psalm 67 which is extending god's glory extending the grace of god that comes through jesus this is god may god be gracious to us and bless us psalm 67 verse 1 and cause his face to shine upon us and, and i think america it's great may, may god bless us may rock valley bible may god bless us in great ways why not so much we can keep it here. That, verse 2, thy ways may be known on the earth. Your saving power. Psalm 67, verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And here it is. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And, and that's really where the psalm is going. It says, God bless us that we might know and enjoy your grace, that we might speak to others, extend your glory. They would go out to the nations, that the nations would hear that as well, and be happy as well, that they would be glad. That's Psalm 67. The earth has yielded its increase, and God our God blesses us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let all the ends of the earth know the joy of the Lord. Let all the ends of the earth find happiness in him. So this July 4th, I... Just close my message this morning. Just want you to think about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a great outline. It's everything that God tells us to do. He says, pursue life in Jesus. He says, enjoy your liberty in Jesus as you seek 
to do what's right, and your sanctification then flows from that. And then seek happiness in Jesus. Spend your whole life pursuing the Lord. That's the only way where there's true happiness. And I just pray that we at Rock Valley Bible Church would, pray, would embrace these inalienable rights that are among us so we might pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I do thank you this July 4th, this holiday in which we look back and realize there was a day in which we sought our independence from Britain and we sought with intentionality to form a nation like no other nation has been formed before. Most others have just organically grown up. But we had an idea to, to set forth these principles before even founding our nation about what our, our life would be like here in America. And I thank you for these rights that the fathers saw, that, that we have the right to life, that we can live, that we'll be safe, that the government will protect us, that they will do everything they can to help us prosper in our life, that we have liberty to do what we want. God, we're completely free people. It means we're completely free to serve and to know you. And that we are to pursue our happiness. God, and I would pray that we would find our happiness in you, that, that people even we speak to this week would realize their happiness not in the things that they're pursuing now, but, but they are in the Lord. And that's where true happiness comes. How many people, oh God, in this life are pursuing things of the flesh? Whether it's sex and drugs or alcohol, or pursuing their boyfriends or their girlfriends, or pursuing the internet, or pursuing knowledge, or pursuing money, or pursuing pleasures. God, that's all empty. God, apart from Jesus. And so would pray, oh God, that you would stir within our souls to embrace these, these rights that we have as things that we should do before you. God, I thank you how they align so much with the Bible's vision for our life, that we'd find life in Christ, that we'd be free in Jesus. We know the truth, and it sets us free. We pursue our happiness and our pleasure, which ultimately is found in you. So God, be gracious to us and help us. Cause your name to shine upon us, that we may tell the ends of the earth that they may be glad. God, let the nations be glad because of what we have seen embraced in your word through this nation, God, that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.